The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. Trading in correction. Stocks looking to push back this morning after their worst day since November. The fighting in Ukraine entering its 13th day, with Russia stepping up air bombardment of major cities as its ground assaults around Kyiv slows to a crawl. We are live in Lviv ahead, and energy prices in focus as well, as Congress gets ready to vote on a bill to ban Russian oil imports and more. A live report from Capitol Hill on deck, plus one sector getting crushed when it comes to higher oil prices, seeing its worst day since 2020. And later, as more companies cut ties with Russia, new pressure on those that have yet to make an announcement one way or the other. It's Tuesday, March 8th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Courtney Reagan in this morning for Brian Sullivan. Let's get you a check on your Tuesday morning with U.S. stock futures and see where we are heading after that very rough day for the markets kicking off the week yesterday. Right now, we are indicated higher. This is a bit of a turnaround from where we were several hours ago. Dow Jones Industrial Average higher by almost 66 points. S&P 500 indicated higher by 14. And the Nasdaq, which did dip into correction territory, is higher by about 30 points. At least now, we've got a number of hours to go and we know a lot can change. And this does come after we saw stocks fall again yesterday, the Dow shedding nearly 800 points for its worst day since November, the S&P coming off its worst day since October of 2020. Every major index is now in correction territory, down more than 10 percent from its most recent all-time high. Oil continues to move higher after hitting those 14-year highs just 36 hours ago. Let's get a check on where things stand right now with the price of oil. WTI, WTI crude is higher by more than 2%, standing below 123 at this point at $122 a barrel. And ice brent crude is higher by uh, 2.5% to $126. Let's stick with the commodity complex. Let's get a look at metals. Get a check on prices of palladium, higher by almost 4% here. That, that is one we keep watching very, very closely. And then you've got your safe haven gold, which is higher by a little less than a percent, but holding above $2,000. Aluminum higher, higher by 1.5% as is copper, both aluminum and copper at record highs. Let's send it over to Rosanna Lockwood. She's in our London newsroom with the early trade in Europe. Rosanna, it's been active for you already. It really has, Courtney, and boy, do we have a metal story to bring you to. Let's first give you a look, though, at how equities are shaping up here in Europe. And much the same as you're saying with the U.S. futures, a turnaround. We're seeing some positivity in the markets today. The broad stock six, Europe stock 600 is up three quarters of a percent. And let's take a look, in fact, at some of these individual bourses and what's how they're lining up, because we actually have the DAX in Germany, the FTSE MIB in Italy falling into bear market territory, 20 percent off recent highs. That was late in Monday's session. Now look at that for a turnaround. In Italy, you're up by three percent. 
percent. The DAX up by just around one and a quarter of a percent. Meantime, the FTSE 100 here in London, which is energy focused, it's often minor and commodities linked as well. That is pairing some gains today. It's almost on the flat line. So let's take you to that metal story because this is really grabbing headlines in London this morning. The London Metal Exchange has actually had to suspend trade of its benchmark nickel contract because the three-month contract crossed $100,000 a tonne for the first time in the London Metal Exchange's history. So they've actually had to suspend trading in that today. You can see LME Nickel, it settled down at $80,000, if we can say that much. Now, LME is going to come out with an update statement throughout the day about how that market is going to return, but we've never seen anything like this in 145 years in London. Uh, meantime, you're looking at LME Zinc at 4160. We're going to be keeping a very close eye on these. Of course, a lot of this, all of it pretty much, is to do with what is happening out of Russia and Ukraine. We were warned about the effects this would have on commodities for many weeks heading up to this increased conflict and now we're certainly seeing it play out Courtney. Wow Rosanna those are some pretty big numbers and some pretty big records to be set there thank you. Sticking with the action overseas and the latest in Ukraine fighting now in the 13th day Russia continuing to shell civilian targets in populated city centers as its ground forces fail to make quote any noteworthy progress according to U.S. defense officials. The air assaults on cities like Kiev, Maripol, and others, making it even harder for residents to flee to points west. Here's Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby last night. As they continue to get frustrated, um, uh, they continue to rely now more on what we would call uh, uh, long-range fires. When you're relying more on long-range fires, you're going you're gonna to cause more damage, uh, and you're going to kill more people and injure more people. And so that's what, we're, that's what we think is happening. The ongoing Russian shelling comes as negotiators from both sides held a third round of talks yesterday with no significant breakthroughs. Though an advisor to Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky said there had been some, quote, small positive developments in improving the logistics of humanitarian corridors. According to the Pentagon, nearly 100 percent of all Russian troops originally stationed on the border with Ukraine are now inside the country. As the fighting continues, renewed focus on banning Russian oil here at home and in Europe, with the U.S. government holding talks with Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro about a possible oil supply stopgap. The House is also set to vote on a bipartisan bill as soon as today on banning Russian oil imports. This comes as the EU will outline a plan today to cut Russian gas imports by two-thirds within the next 12 months. On the corporate front, more companies continue to cut ties with Moscow, the latest IBM suspending all business in Russia. Same for Levi Strauss, Tommy Hilfiger parent PVH and Estee Lauder. Still more, J.P. Morgan says it will remove Russian debt from all of its widely used bond indexes. Well, back to the markets here as investors remain on edge over Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Futures, though, actually fighting back from session lows. S&P futures swinging from steep losses to positive territory in just the last few hours. Oil, which has been hovering near those 14-year highs, also pulling a bit back earlier gains, still higher by 2%. Let's dive into all of this with Matt Maley. He's the chief market strategist for Miller Tayback. Matt, thanks for joining us here. Is there anything really to make of the fundamentals of perhaps uncertainty or otherwise changing overnight or early this morning that we can point to for the reason that futures turned around? 
Well, I, I don't know that we really have a, a key fundamental uh, move. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, even though oil has come down off its highs, and it's high, uh, yesterday it got, it got up to all, all, you know, $130, to $130 uh, I guess that's somewhat bullish. But, of course, they're all still higher than they were before. So this whole concern about inflation, which was already a problem before this crisis uh, started, is now becoming a, a bigger one. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, the, the, that also increases – I'm sorry, increases the, the – uh, a chance of, uh, of demand destruction, which, of course, uh, leads to stagflation. And, uh, you know, it, it's this whole situation where, where you know, inflation is actually good. That's why we, the, the Fed wanted it for so long, if it's demand-driven. But if it's driven by a lack of supply, it becomes a big problem, and that's what we're facing right now. And so when we're talking about commodities and perhaps the inflation in the price of oil or energy, for example, maybe that is from lack of supply, but it's still just... I don't know, makes me wonder if we've gone too far in the price of oil, because the United States, for example, only imports, what, about 8 percent of our total oil or energy imports from Russia. So even if we cut it off completely, should the price of oil really be where it is right now? You know, it, it's hard to say because people, you know, there's so much fear in the marketplace when surrounding this commodity. But you're right. I mean, one of the things is that it's inc become incredibly overbought. You look at the technical uh, picture, uh, you know, the relative strength in this is RSI is the most overbought. Uh, it's weekly RSI, most overbought ever, uh, even more than 1997 and 2000. Uh, I'm sorry, 1999 and 2007. And you also look at the look at the Bollinger Bands chart, the most extended, only have been this extended one other time back in 2000. So it's getting very very, very overbought. And then we see the futures traders in, in, uh, in West Texas Intermediate and crude oil are, are 96 percent bullishness. I mean, everybody's on one side of the boat, I guess is my point. So people who are chasing this trade, uh, you know, whether it be the energy stocks or the, or the commodities themselves, need to be a little bit careful, at least on a short term basis. And to your point about being careful, I understand you have some concern about some companies potentially being offsides. You're worried about margin calls. T take us through your theory. Yeah, I mean, we, we have this thing where, you know, we see what happened with nickel over, overnight. Uh, and then and recently we've had, well, what, 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 I'm sorry, a wheat has been, has moved, uh, um, no, it's, it's hit the up limit uh, six or seven days in a row now. I mean, when you see these kind of wild moves, that, that means somebody has some big losses. I mean, it, you know, it happened with Peabody Energy, BT, uh, the symbol is BTU on the stock, but they had a big margin call over the weekend. And, you know, it's like, well, they were doing the right thing. They, they had a hedge on but when the move, when you get to one of these, you know, standard deviation, you know, five standard deviation moves, which is what we saw with long-term capital management, uh, the 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 hedge of an the asset that the hedge gains becomes a liability, and that you actually lose money on the hedge. And with so many different commodities seeing these huge moves, uh, it could be something that could really cause problems uh, uh, in for many other companies. And as you move to the end of the quarter, and hedge funds are coming, you know, they're going to re report their results. If they have some big losses. Then you suddenly get, you know, people pulling their money out, et cetera. There, there, this is I don't want to compare it exactly to long term capital, but there's something very similar to that. And when you get these five standard deviation moves uh, in any market, it results in the kind of losses that can come back and, and bite us, uh, you know, a few weeks down the road. OK, Matt, we'll consider ourselves warmed. Matt Maley, thank you very much for joining us here today. Thanks, pretty. When we come back, much more on the U.S. plan to ban Russian oil imports and the countries it's tapping to fill the expected supply gap. Plus, one sector getting burned by rising crude prices coming off its worst day since October 2020. And later, the companies that have yet to cut ties with Moscow as public pressure grows. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns.
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back. Oil continuing to hover near 14-year highs as the Biden administration maps out a path to combat climate crude prices. Part of the plan entails talks with long-term adversary Venezuela. It's a point of contention with the president of neighboring Colombia, who will meet with President Biden this week. Before that White House visit, Colombia's president speaking with our own Brian Sullivan at Sarah Week in Houston on the current state of the global energy landscape. We are pleased and honored to be joined here at the Sarah Week conference by President of the Republic of Colombia, Ivan Duque. President Duque, thank you very much for spending some time with us here on CNBC. Thank you so much, Brian. It's a great honor for me to be in your show. It's an incredibly important time. Obviously, things have changed. Uh, three weeks ago, my questions probably would have been very different. Uh, I want to get to your plan in Colombia for energy transition and balance, but I want to begin with this. There are some uh, reports that the U.S. is in Caracas uh, negotiating potentially with the Maduro regime about increasing oil production. There's some conversation that Colombia may be involved in either uh, the, the negotiations themselves or at least the brokering of those negotiations. Is there anything that you can tell us? I think this is a, this is a process that has been managed directly by the United States with, uh, with Venezuela. But I just say something, Brian. Maduro is a dictator. He's a world criminal. He has created the biggest humanitarian crisis ever in Latin America. Any solution about the future of Venezuela has to pass by the true exercise of democracy. And that means there has to be a real election taking place. And Maduro cannot be there because he doesn't guarantee transparency in democracy in Venezuela. And besides that, he has been providing safe haven to Colombian terrorists in the Venezuelan soil. So I think any, any search for getting Venezuela to support the current energy crisis that we're suffering because of what happened in Ukraine and Russia cannot be a permission for him to remain in office. And we've talked a lot about Ukraine and Russia, as we should. The world has gone insane, or at least Putin certainly has. But you've been dealing with a humanitarian crisis for years because of, to your point, Maduro's uh, illicit regime, I'll say it, uh, poverty, You've got hundreds of thousands, about millions of Venezuelans have already come to your nation or are hoping to get into your nation just to find food. Uh, what is the proper balance for you of making sure the Venezuelan economy can come back up, but also not propping up the Maduro regime? Every single day Maduro remains in office is making the humanitarian crisis worse, Brian. 
We have approximately 1.8 million Venezuelans in Colombian soil. And we have granted them with a temporary protection status for 10 years. Why? Because we needed them to get visible, to access the healthcare system, to find a job, to get opportunities. And it was not easy because we have taken a lot of this fiscal pressure. But it was the right thing to do. It was the morally right thing to do. So we're allowing them to become visible and engage in the economic apparatus. Nevertheless, can that be sustained forever? The response is no. If Maduro remains in office, this is going to be a lasting tragedy. You are meeting with President Biden in Washington, D.C. on Thursday. Will that be your message to him? And where will energy and oil and gas, you produce about a million barrels a day, you're adding renewables, what will be the conversation, the balance between Venezuela, humanitarianism, and also energy right now with the president? I think there are many topics that are very important. The, the, the one that I think it's the, it's the umbrella is that this year we're celebrating 200 years of bilateral relationships between the U.S. and Colombia. And that relationship has been bipartisan, bicameral, based on principles. So we're going to talk about investment, we're going to talk about trade, we're going to talk about energy transition, but definitely we're also going to talk about how do we continue fighting transnational crime, how do we keep on defending democracy in the Americas, what solutions can be also identified for the situation that, we, that we're suffering in the hemisphere because of this humanitarian crisis that has uh, left uh, almost 6 million Venezuelans spread all over the world. And also, what shall be our humanitarian response and the multilateral response to this uh, insane attack on Ukraine? So those subjects will be in the table. And the most important thing, Brian, that I have to say, the concept of B3W, Build Back Better World, that was launched by the U.S. administration today is more important than ever and it has to be accelerated because I think the American people have realized that they can no longer rely solely on, on uh, products that come from Far East. We need to make Latin America a closer ally and a closer market to the U.S. in order to ensure U.S. security as well. You're, you're undergoing a pretty bold transition by adding renewables of 500 plus thousand homes at the end of your plan will be powered by renewables, but as you build that out, what have you learned from, and I'll say this, the failures of the UK and Europe to properly, we're learning the risk of being imbalanced in your energy supply mix, which leaves you too reliant on wind or Russian gas. As you look at the balance for Colombia, what is the right balance? Brian, for me, the three enemies of economic liberties are post-truth, populism, and polarization. And when it comes to energy, many people have tried to polarize the debate. Many people have tried to, to say that oil is the enemy, that there cannot be a balance between non-conventional renewables and the hydrocarbon uh, sector. Well, that's, that's false. And I think Colombia can clearly demonstrate that we are a country that has increased production in oil and gas, that has expanded reserves, but has also become the leader of the energy transition in Latin America. And in fact, our national oil company has become the largest auto generator with non-conventional renewables. So I think there has to be a balance. And sometimes I call this the Canadian approach, that you can be a leader in the hydrocarbon sector, mm -hmm. but you can also be a leader in the energy transition with non-conventional renewables, that you can, can keep on expanding the industry, but also you can become a leader in conservation. And I assume that's one of the reasons that you're here at the Zero Week Conference in Houston, but it's a real pleasure to have you here and speaking on this important topic. Uh, President Duque, thank you very much for spending some time with CNBC. Thank Thank you so much, Brian. It has been a great honor. Yes, sir. Thank you very much.
Wow, big thanks to Brian Sullivan for that conversation, an important one. Great timing. Be sure to catch Brian's complete wrap-up from Sarah Week on the CNBC special, The Oil Shock, as he talks with the CEOs of Occidental Petroleum, Pioneer Natural Resources, and Williams Company. That's tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. Well, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, the Nasdaq may be more than 20% off its high, but some major tech names you know are down even more. The tech wreck reveals when Worldwide Exchange returns. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate headlines. Silvana Hanau is here. Silvana, we're matching again today. We did it yesterday. Good morning. I, know. I thought the same thing when I saw you. I go, all right. We didn't even plan that. We didn't. We really didn't. <laughs> hey, Cor- All right. So Apple is holding its first product launch event of the year today. A new low-cost iPhone, updated iPad Air, and Macs are expected. The event will be live streamed from the company's Cupertino headquarters, like all launch events since 2020. Apple Spring device launches are less important to the company than its traditional fall events, which typically reveal new iPhone models ahead of the holiday shopping season. President Biden is reportedly expected to sign an executive order outlining the U.S. government's strategy for cryptocurrencies. The order will direct federal agencies to examine potential regulatory changes, including studying the possible creation of a U.S. digital currency. And as more companies cut ties or suspend operations in Russia, new eye are growing on those that have yet to take a stand on the issue. Among those on the list, Pepsi, Mondelez, Kimberly-Clark, Cody and McDonald's. For its part, Coca-Cola says it is donating more than one million dollars to the Red Cross to help the Ukraine refugee crisis, but made no mention of its extensive Russian operations, Courtney. Hmm. Interesting stuff. We're watching yeah. all of those corporate yeah, moves we'll very closely. For sure. Savannah, thank you very you much. Well, as we had to break, a quick programming note. Don't miss CNBC's new primetime series, No Retreat Business Boot Camp, premiering tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern on CNBC. Here's a sneak peek. I need the last four numbers of the CNS emergency call-in number. You got five seconds. Four, nine, three, seven. Everybody roll over one. I can't believe they don't know their own emergency phone number. This is, this is a phone number that's been around for 30 years. Bill, you see how it doesn't really have an effect in the office when you get something wrong and you're not paying attention, right? You want to be in the cleaning business, you got to get dirty. Stocks looking to stop their slide after another dramatic sell-off in U.S. markets. Features indicating gains at the open. And oil continuing to hold near 14-year highs this morning as Congress mulls new steps to halt the import of Russian oil. We're live in Washington with the potential moves by Congress. And Russian and Ukrainian officials giving talks to end the ongoing invasion. Another go 
as Moscow steps up its bombardment campaign. We're on the ground in Ukraine with the latest. It's Tuesday, March 8th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CNBC. Welcome back. I am Courtney Reagan in this morning for Brian Sullivan. Thank you for joining us. Here's how stock futures are looking right now as we're halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. Overnight, we have staged a bit of a turnaround. We were markedly lower, and now we are at least indicated slightly higher. For the Dow, higher by almost 30 points. The S&P 500, higher by 9.5, and the Nasdaq, up by just 13. We are pulling back a little bit, though, from the gains that we had seen just about 30 minutes ago. This was not the picture just a few hours ago, as I mentioned. So look at the futures over that time. You can see the mark turning sharply higher right here, as you can see there. And that was just around 3 a.m. Eastern time. This after U.S. stocks fell again yesterday with the Dow shedding nearly 800 points for its worst day since November. The S&P coming off its worst day since October 2020. Every major index is now in correction territory. That means, of course, down more than 10 percent from its most recent all-time high. It's worse for the Nasdaq now in a bear market. Checking oil, which has seen some wild swings of its own this morning. WTI crude is higher by about 2%, but now below $122 a barrel. That has come off some highs that we had seen previously. And ice sprint crude is just below $126 a barrel. That is also higher by about 2%. And speaking of being off extremes, take a look at some formerly high-flying tech stocks under pressure in recent months, but losses really picking up steam in the last few days, with many losing 75% or more in market value. Some of the most notable names, Robinhood, down 87% from its high in August. Peloton, down 83% from its high in July. Roku, down 77% from July. And Stitch Fix, off 85%. Now to the latest on Russia's invasion of Ukraine, now in its 13th day. Russian forces continuing to shell civilian targets and populated city centers as its ground forces failed to make, quote, any noteworthy progress, according to U.S. defense officials. The air assaults on cities like Kiev, Maripol, and others making it even harder for residents to flee. The ongoing Russian shelling comes as negotiators from both sides held a third round of talks yesterday. While there were no significant breakthroughs, an advisor to Ukraine's president said there had been some, quote, small positive developments in improving the logistics of humanitarian corridors. This is the U.N. reports this morning that two million refugees have fled Ukraine since the start of the invasion. NBC's Molly Hunter joins us now from Lviv in the western part of Ukraine. Molly, good morning. It's good to see you again. Hi, Courtney. Good good to be back with you. Uh, So we are focused on a city in the east called Sumy. It is east of Kyiv. It is north of Kharkiv. It is very close to the Russian border. Now, overnight, it was hit incredibly hard. The death toll currently stands at 21 people, uh, including children. And we're so focused on this town because this is the only uh, town that Russians and Ukrainians, apparently, according to the ICRC, have agreed uh, to get that humanitarian corridor going. So the humanitarian corridor leaving Sumy has apparently already already started. We have seen video of civilians loading ICRC buses. And the route takes kind of a roundabout way. It goes up in and around 
kind of around Kiev, and then it goes south to a town called Poltava. It is still very much, though, in the dangerous kind of east. It is not to the west of the country. Now, according to the Ukrainians, they're also talking about getting humanitarian aid into Sumy. As I mentioned, it was hit incredibly hard. The situation for the civilians who remain there uh, is dire. But ceasefires are incredibly fragile, right, Courtney? It requires two warring parties and a neutral party to agree on every single detail. And trust is low after the last four days. Now, the Ukrainians also say the Russians are going to try to manipulate the route. And we have just received, uh, just seen a wire in the last couple of minutes. According to the Ukrainian deputy minister, 39 buses are now en route to Mariupol. That is that southeastern city, Courtney, we have been talking about so much to start uh, moving evacuees out. Over the weekend, two uh, failed ceasefire attempts in Mariupol. It's a city of 450,000. According to the ICRC, there are 200,000 civilians desperate to get out. And both of those ceasefire attempts failed because of Russian shelling. Courtney, the big goal, of course, for everyone in those besieged towns in the east is to get west to where I am. I am in Lviv, the relative safety. This is the destination for anyone evacuating from the east. It is also the departure point for anyone trying to get out of the country. As you mentioned, a new number from the UNHCR earlier today, two million people have actually left the country as refugees. That does not include all of the IDPs, the people who have left their homes, who are displaced right here and possibly going to try to wait it out, Courtney. Wow. Molly Hunter, thank you very much for bringing that to us again. Please continue to stay safe yourself as well. Well, now to Washington. As Congress weighs new steps to ban Russian oil here in the U.S., lawmakers also weighing whether to take those actions one step further and restrict overall trade with Moscow. Elon Moy joins us now from Washington with the latest. Good morning, Elon. Well, good morning, Courtney. Momentum is building on Capitol Hill to step up the fight against Russia. Under a new bipartisan, bicameral agreement, Congress would ban oil and gas imports from Russia, end normal trade relations with both Russia and Belarus, raise tariffs on other Russian goods, and call for Russia's removal from the WTO. Now, this deal was struck by the Democratic and Republican leaders of the House and Senate committees that oversee trade. And in a joint statement, they said the goal is to send a message to President Putin that war is unacceptable. Now, lawmakers were still finalizing the text of this bill last night. I'm told it could go to the House floor as soon as today. But remember, Congress is also racing to authorize emergency aid to Ukraine and fund the U.S. government before it runs out of money at the end of this week. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said he now expects to send more than $12 billion to Ukraine. That's nearly double the original estimate. The clearest signal Congress can send to Vladimir Putin this week is passing a bipartisan aid package, leaving no doubt that the democratic nations of the world stand with Ukraine and against Putin's deeply immoral and bloody war. So, Courtney, we are seeing consensus rapidly emerge from the right and from the left for more action as this crisis escalates. Back over to you. Wow. A lot of moving parts here, Elon. I mean, does this mean, though, it's smooth sailing for Congress or are there still some sticking points here that we have to get through? Yeah, Courtney, so unity on Capitol Hill only goes so far. Hmm. There is still debate among lawmakers over the mechanism for implementing an oil ban. Does Congress just do it legislatively? Do they direct the president to issue an oil ban? So that's one of the technical issues under debate. But more broadly, what you're hearing between Republicans and Democrats is that Republicans say any oil ban should be paired with a boost to American energy production. That's restarting the Keystone Pipeline, ensuring oil and gas companies have 
Capitol. Democrats say this is a moment to move away from fossil fuels and move toward more clean energy. So that's a debate that's going to go on for a while. But at least both sides agree on what should be done now to counter Russia. Well, that's one step, right? Agree, at, at least, and how to counter. Elon, thank you very much. Well, news just crossing from Shell. The company will withdraw from all Russian oil and gas operations. It will immediately stop buying Russian crude oil on the spot market and will not renew term contracts. The company will also start a phased withdrawal from Russian petroleum products, pipeline gas, and LNG. Shares of Shell right now down just marginally at this moment. Let's talk more about energy prices and the companies that produce oil and gas with Baraj Bogataria from RBC Capital Markets. Baraj, thank you for joining us here today. Obviously, a big focus on the commodity itself, but there are many, many companies that play in this market that are very important to the global oil picture. Many have seen either, I don't know, I guess I guess there's pros and cons to everything when it comes to business. Some of these names have benefited more than others, and some have, have had some more trouble than others. What has been appropriate, do you think, when it comes to the reaction in the stock prices when, it, when we're talking about sanctioning Russian oil? Have some prices moved too far or have others not moved enough? I think that I think there's a lot of uncertainty out there, um, and I think at this point the market, you know, the fundamental backdrop on the commodity market is is very tight, uh, and effectively you've gone from fundamentals to to fear, fear of sanctions, fear of disruptions, uh, and so on. And I think from the equity market perspective, it's really that first order thinking, which is, you know, I think commodity prices go up because of all these uh, things that are happening, uh, but I don't want to wake up to any skeletons in the closet or any, uh, you know, unknown impacts from the, from the Russian exposures that these companies have. So there's been a quite a significant dispersion uh, across the energy sector in terms of positive and negative impacts. What do you make of the news here that we just brought that Shell is going to withdraw from all Russian oil and gas operations? Yeah, I think uh, Western international you know, oil companies and integrators in particular are going to be under significant pressure from shareholders and governments to to make similar moves. I think for Shell, it's uh, outside of trading the the physical products, Russia is actually a relatively small part of the business. And and the upsides from high commodity prices uh, ultimately materially outweigh the downsides. That's not exactly the case for uh, some of their peers. So Total Energy is obviously the most entrenched company within Russia. It's going to be much more challenging for them to uh, either exit or stay, uh, and we'll wait to hear what they say. Now, obviously, the higher the price of oil, the more these companies benefit. If we have a lack of supply from Russia, couldn't they just turn on the spigots? Couldn't they help bring down the price of oil? But do they not want to do that because then they lose out on all of that cash they could could potentially be making and making up for, frankly, money that they've missed out on in the last several years? Yeah, I think, you know, ultimately the question is timing. So, you know, if you talk about the 4 million barrels a day of, of Russian export uh, that could come off the market, that's not easily made up for by by any source, including OPEC. So our strategists think, you know, OPEC could add 2 million barrels a day. And even for shale, which is reportedly the sort of swing producer within the commodity markets, we think they could add about 600,000 barrels a day. It would take about 12 months. So, to the extent that four million barrels a day come off the market, that would be very, very significant 
for commodity prices. And, um, you know, ultimately the upside is, is you pick a number. And so as you're trying to pick stocks in this in this market, where are the names that you're looking to potentially see the most opportunity? I mean, frankly, benefiting from a crisis. I think ultimately you have to think about the upside, but also be wary that high commodity prices could drive a recessionary scenario, uh, particularly in Europe, which is uh, impacted by the oil price increase, but also on the on the European gas side where prices are at record levels. Um, so we prefer the companies with good balance sheets, but also have you know more upside than downside in terms of portfolio positioning and limited Russia risk. So Shell is our top pick in the space. We also like BP. They do have some Russia exposure, but we think it's already discounted uh, in the market. Raj Bokatara, thank you very much for joining us here this morning. Thank you. Well, coming up, we keep the energy conversation going. How record energy prices are hitting one sector in particular. Worldwide Exchange is back in just a moment. Take a quick look at futures and see where we are heading this morning. The Nasdaq has turned just slightly negative, just a hair, and there it goes positive. So right around the flat line is probably fair to say. The Dow is indicating a higher open to the tune of about 42 points. The S&P 500 is higher by only about eight and a half. We have lost significant steam over the last 40 minutes or so, but we've also come a long way since middle of the night. So I guess there's one way to look at it, either half full or half empty. Well, as crude prices touch highs not seen since 2008 and gasoline prices are hitting all-time highs, the transport sector's getting hit very hard. The sector ending yesterday with its worst session since October of 2020, falling nearly 4%. And with oil and gas prices looking to not go down anytime soon, the near-term picture may be looking pretty bleak for transports. Let's bring in Amit Matrotha. He's Managing Director for Transports at Deutsche Bank. Thank you very much for joining us here today. Obviously, a rough day yesterday for transports. Do you think that it went too far, or is that appropriate, considering everything that's going on and all uncertainty and the volatility in the price of the commodity complexes? Yeah, well, good morning, Courtney. I think uh, time will tell. Um, you know, fuel is a big cost for transportation and logistics companies, but they have effective mechanisms to pass through that extra cost. I think the key question that we're all trying to ask ourselves is what type of demand destruction do these higher commodity prices pose? And, and that's really the, the question and I think what the equity markets are discounting. I'm not too worried about higher fuel prices as it relates to the P&L for transportation and logistics companies. There is a little bit of a lag um, and, and, and these companies will be clipped by it in the very near term. Uh, but like I said before, they have very effective pass-throughs. And the real question is uh, what the consumer does, what the industrial economy does, the outlook for demand in those two sectors of the economy as it relates to freight flows. I'm also a little bit more optimistic there than maybe uh, the, the, the equity markets are discounting. We can talk about that if you'd like, but, uh, but, but time, time will tell. And that's really the key question. What are the first indications that demand is being destroyed if, if indeed that does happen? What should investors be on the lookout for so they're not sort of caught off sides when it's too late? 
Well, uh, you know, 70% of total freight capacity is uh, in truckload or trucking. I'm sitting here in Phoenix right now about to meet uh, later this morning with the largest trucking company in the country. Uh, we still believe that uh, trucking is still very tight. Demand still exceeds capacity. Uh, but clearly, you know, every week we get the rail car loadings, we get intermodal loadings, we get, um, you know, um, uh, trucking data and trucking rates. We have seen a modest decline in some of the most recent weekly trucking data, which might indicate a modal shift. Now, keep in mind that railroads are three times more fuel efficient than trucking, and we have seen the railroads start to move much higher over the last week, week and a half. So it's not surprising to me that the market is discounting a potential modal shift away from trucking into rails. But when we look at the rail car loadings, we do not see demand destruction. Actually, quite the contrary. We actually see quite good rail car loadings um, in some of the most recent weekly data. And so as you look within the transport sectors, how should we decide who will be winners, who will be losers, near term, medium term? Well, what's really important is you want to own companies in subsectors that have pricing power, that are able to mute some of the uh, de- potential decline in volume with pricing power. And so for us, that's that's squarely the less than truckload industry. So you look at companies like XPO, SIA, Old Dominion. You look at the railroads, particularly the Union Pacific, CSX, uh, Canadian Pacific, Canadian National. These are industries and companies that really have very strong pricing power that's going to be able to, um, you know, mute the potential decremental margins associated with weak volumes. Now, on the truckload side with companies like Knight and Warner, these companies are trading, um, they're incredibly well-run companies, and they're trading already like the cycle is over. So you have very, very low valuations. So we think the transport se- transportation sector, despite what's happening in fuel prices, is an incredibly investable sector, either through the pricing power inherent in some of these business models and industry consolidation dynamics, or really just the valuation parameters from a cyclical perspective. Thank you for joining us. Amit Matrotha, and if you're in Phoenix, thank you for joining us very early. I hope your meeting goes well today. Thanks, buddy. Well, on deck, futures fighting to stop the ongoing slide in stocks. Oppenheimer's, Oppenheimer's John Stolfus lays out the sectors high on his radar amid the volatility. And a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. It's on all major podcast platforms. And a programming note, be sure to catch Brian Sullivan's complete wrap-up from Sarah Week on the CNBC special, The Oil Shock, as he talks with the CEOs of Occidental Petroleum, Pioneer Natural Resources, and Williams Company. That's tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, only here on CNBC. Investors getting set for a wild day of trading. If the futures are any indication, at least, just three hours ago, Wall Street was on track for another 400-point-plus loss to start the day. Now... Solidly in the green. Joining me now is John Stoltzfus, he's Chief Investment Strategist and Managing Director at Oppenheimer Asset Management. John, thank you for joining us here today. I mean, it is really hard to read anything from the early action these days with so much uncertainty in the market and then subsequent volatility. But do you make anything of the action this morning with investors standing on a little bit firmer footing now than, say, several hours ago? Are we in for less of a wild ride here today? Well, Courtney, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, I've got to say, you know, this is not to be unexpected. And if anything, we could see the market move a bit higher, give back a little bit, move sideways. With, with this much uncertainty on the landscape, if anything, for traders, it's opportunity to, to uh, play the trade, so to speak. And for investors, an opportunity for really looking for babies that get thrown out with the bathwater. Uh, so, you know, if you're a trader, you want to be careful about leverage. 
Uh, and if you're an investor, you're looking to uh, add to names that may have been too expensive a while ago. Don't back up the truck here, but layer in. Very interesting that you make that point about names that were too expensive that maybe are now a little bit more attractive. I understand you're still interested in some technology names. Certainly am. And, and uh, Courtney, when we look at, at technology, we're looking for the technology companies that are profitable, strong cash flow, even paying dividends, okay, and those that are deeply embedded in the lives of both business and the consumer. And uh, as a portfolio manager, as well as a strategist, I can't mention individual names here, but just think of the operating systems that you may deal with on a daily basis between your smartphone and your corporate uh, PC, you know, uh, it, it, you get the idea. And when, when you consider this, it gives you diversification, income, the chips, a lot of prospects, we think, within the chip space, because uh, we're going to need more chips to get out of this. Technology helped us uh, during the pandemic at the peak and to get out of that. And it'll help us to deal with this situation uh, in terms of the risk militarily and uh, in terms of the, the challenges that we have now. It also strikes me that you are interested in looking outside the United States here, even in this time of uncertainty and pretty unprecedented volatility for what we may or may not see with globalization in this world. But you like international markets. Uh, we do. We, but we have been overweight U.S. equities for years now. But we do like to have meaning, meaningful exposure uh, to both uh, uh, emerging as well as developed international markets. Because as the U.S. economy gets stronger and we expect, you know, it will maintain uh, relative strength versus other economies around the world through this period and eventually get back to a sustainable level of economic growth uh, at a modest pace. OK, we, we're going to be buying more goods from around the world. Just think of those brand names that are brand names that you can only get from foreign producers, whether it's in automobiles or in luxury goods or even in commoditized products, too. And it's interesting. We talk a lot about defensive names on this network. We don't talk as much about defense names, but you're interested in that space as well for opportunity. Most certainly. Uh, we think, you know, when you look at the industrial uh, sector, uh, within that, you have all the defense stocks, those uh, outfits that build tanks, that build missiles, that have uh, cybersecurity uh, answers, things like that. So we want to own the defense sector as well as the broader industrial sector. Uh, and the industrial sector, of course, is involved in feeding uh, uh, air, uh, airplane engines, uh, equipment for oil services companies and, and drillers, uh, as well as all kinds of power generation. And, John, before we let you go, you know, it sounds like you're a pretty risk-on guy here with some of your picks. You're looking for some opportunity in this market. But are there any hedges that you think investors should be watching right now? Well, we think you, you, you certainly want to have a bit of cash on the side. You know, your, your investment portfolio, uh, should we believe, should be positioned overweight in equities. Uh, but you, want, you do want to have some cash on the side so that you can have, uh, you can have dry powder uh, to take advantage of the babies that get thrown out with the bathwater. You also want to own some defensive sectors. You know, utilities yesterday did pretty good because the regulated utilities uh, are beginning to send out letters announcing that uh, the regulators are, are, are looking at their uh, uh, costs of their energy 
So likely your your utility bills are going to be going up and, and they'll be able to pay higher dividends as we see uh, yields come up uh, within the uh, uh, fixed income as well as in with the utility sector. That makes sense. I've already seen those bills go up. John Stoltzfus, thank you very much for joining us here today. To give you a quick check on futures as we head to the end of the show, futures are higher for the Dow, the S&P, and the Nasdaq right now. We've got a number of hours left to go. We'll see where things stand and get a quick check on the energy complex. Look at crude oil prices higher by another 2.5%, but below $123 a barrel. That does it for us this morning on Worldwide Exchange. Thank you for watching. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.